at any rate, it is time for us to begin or resume uh, our study of the Exodus account. Uh, as you can see on your screen that we will be starting at chapter 8, verse number 16. Uh, but let us start with a word of prayer. Our Father, now God in heaven, we thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for the blessings in life that you give day by day. We thank you, Father, for being the God that you are. And Father, we thank you and praise your name that you keep us from day to day in spite of what the circumstances may be around us. And Father, we thank you uh, just for all that you are continuing to do uh, in the times in which we now live. Father, we are mindful to pray uh, for the global pandemic uh, that we are experiencing right now. And Father, we pray for all of those who are in positions of authority and make decisions that affect the lives of others. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would bless, bless them. We pray, Father, for all of those who hazard their lives uh, in serving others. Uh, we pray, Father, for those that have been uh, afflicted with this virus. Uh, we pray for those who are searching for a cure and Father, we ask that in all things your will would be done, uh, that uh, this pandemic would uh, just remind our world that you alone are God and that it would uh, turn the hearts of men to you. Father, we are so thankful uh, this evening to be able to study together from your word. We are thankful, Father, for the technology, for those who know how to use it. Father, we pray this evening that our study would draw us closer to you and help us, Father, to better walk the straight and narrow path that leads to life. Father, may we be mindful uh, to pray for those who have experienced uh, adversity in their living other than uh, what stems from the pandemic. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, uh, for those who are facing uh, whatever the adversity may be at this time. We ask, O oh God, that you would bless them, visit them, each one according to their need, but ask in all things that your will would be done. And Father, above all, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who makes it all possible. And in his name we do pray and ask all things. Amen. So as we mentioned, we are at Exodus chapter 8. Uh, we're going to begin the reading at verse number 16. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So chapter 8, verse number 16, uh, finds us uh, recounting uh, the third of the ten plagues that God would send uh, against uh, the Egyptians. And what we are endeavoring to do is to take a look at these plagues with somewhat of the perspective of how this would have affected the Egyptians. From an Egyptian perspective, uh, we are persuaded and sure that there is but one God, uh, but that was not the mind of the Egyptians. And so to appreciate what God was doing, we have to kind of understand how they would have seen uh, these things as they were uh, occurring. So the third plague, God sends uh, gnats, and it says that there are gnats on man and beast. And while we won't give over much attention uh, to the plagues themselves, uh, prayerfully you can see kind of just the, the, the logical progression that God follows with this, how he takes nature and uses it uh, to bring about his uh, purpose. And even if these things could be explained, uh, we want to bear it uh, uh, in memory. Uh, that all of these things are happening as a direct operation of God. This is God at work uh, behind these things that we are reading. And, and so when the plague of gnats comes, uh, the Egyptians uh, would have, uh, again, been looking for their gods to intercede to do something. Uh, and 
their gods would remain silent uh, throughout the entire uh, event. Uh, now, if it sounds like, uh, here we go. I'm trying to get the screen to change and it wouldn't. Uh, there we go. All right. So uh, this would have affected uh, primarily the Egyptian god Geb and would have been an embarrassment uh, to him. Uh, Geb was the great god of the earth and the head of the divine tribunal of the kingship. Uh, he was also thought to be the source of fresh waters and ultimately all that the earth produced. When we talk about this plague being a plague of gnats, uh, let us bear in mind it's hard to be adamant about the exact insect because the Hebrew word that is used here uh, is rare in occurrence. And so if you're reading in another translation, you may see uh, it translated as lice, mosquitoes, sandflies, fleas, or maggots. I don't know that it would be profitable to hold up Bible class arguing about which exact insect it was. Uh, whichever insect it was, it was sent uh, by the direct will of God, and it accomplished its purpose. It certainly got the attention uh, of the Egyptians. Uh, one source uh, had this to say uh, about the plague, and I'm going to say gnats. Uh, that little animal, even though it is very small, is exceedingly annoying, for not only does it spoil the appearance, creating unseemly and injurious itchings, but it also penetrates into the inmost parts, entering in at the nostrils and ears, and it flies into the eyes and injures the pupils, unless one takes great care. And what care could be taken against so extensive a plague, especially when it was God inflicting the punishment? And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be somewhere where the insects are in abundance and uh, are an extreme uh, annoyance, uh, but it, you can imagine how, un uh, if you have, then you know how uncomfortable that is. And, and imagine that to be the norm uh, throughout the day. Uh, usually when you're in a place like that, you can go back indoors and get away uh, from the insects or they may be thick, but usually you can just kind of wave them off. Now you may have to keep waving them off, uh, but what we are told here is that uh, these things were everywhere and, and there was no relief. And so when we look at what God is accomplishing here, uh, it's interesting to note that uh, even as Pharaoh came to a realization in the previous plague, uh, the plague of frogs, the magicians uh, came to a realization in this plague. Uh, in the first two plagues, the magicians had appeared to match the miracles God worked through Moses. Uh, however, they couldn't duplicate this one. And, and so they concluded then by their words uh, that Moses was more than just a magician. Uh, see, they were thinking Moses was uh, a, a peer uh, in the trade, uh, you know, just a magician as they were, and that what he was doing uh, were just magic tricks. But after this, they, they come to understand what Moses was doing was more than mere magic tricks. Uh, Moses's miracles were real and were from the God who is real. And by the end of this plague, the magicians are forced to admit that they cannot compete with Moses and with his God. Uh, they say this is the finger uh, of God. And it's also noteworthy that through the first three plagues, uh, not a peep has been heard from any of the Egyptian gods. Now, of course, we know their gods are not real and they could not answer. Uh, but in the minds of the Egyptians, uh, they thought their gods to be real. And certainly there must have been a great deal of wonder as to how long this God of the Hebrews was going to be able to afflict them. And, and none of the gods which they serve uh, do anything uh, about what they were experiencing. And so uh, that portion would get us through uh, the third plague. Uh, now, if you recall, uh, I had mentioned previously that I wanted to divide the first nine plagues up into groups of three. Uh, the first three, uh, we would take consideration of how it would have affected uh, the water gods. Uh, of course, the first plague began with the Nile River itself, and then the next two would have been a direct fallout uh, from the flooding of the Nile. 
but as we move to uh, the fourth plague, uh, the fourth plague, four through six, we're going to say, uh, take a look at how this would have affected the land gods and uh, certainly not trying to imply that it only affected the land gods. I, I believe that uh, you could in some sense say that all 10 of the plagues were against all of the gods of the Egyptians and God is going to expressly say that uh, in the 10th plague. Uh, but for our purposes, we'll be looking at uh, uh, how it affects uh, uh, the different gods there. Uh, so the first three plagues affected uh, the entire land of Egypt, but beginning with the fourth plague, God is going to make a distinction between his people uh, and the Egyptians, and apparently from here throughout, uh, and we'll see this as we read, uh, this distinction is made uh, as we go on. Uh, but some of the gods notably affected by plagues four through six would have been uh, Ray. And again, uh, appreciate that these gods have variant uh, ways of spelling the names and I'm sure variant pronunciations. Uh, also would have affected uh, Apis, uh, the bull god, and then would have uh, also affected uh, Hathor, uh, so these would have been some of the gods affected uh, by plagues four through six. We're going to continue reading then uh, at Exodus chapter eight, uh, and also Serapis uh, would have been one of the gods affected. We're going to continue reading uh, Exodus chapter eight, starting at verse number 20. Now the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also on the ground which they dwell. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of insects will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. And I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will occur. Then the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of insects into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of insects in all the land of Egypt. And I can imagine life around Egypt must have been pretty miserable by this time. Uh, when we look at what is recounted to us here in verses 20 through 24, uh, the original text says swarms, and it is commonly held that swarms of flies are meant, uh, but it is possible that this was swarms of many different insects, uh, but it's commonly held that this was the gadfly or the march fly, which has a painful bite. And, and again, I, I don't think the exact insect is so much uh, the thing to be held in view as it is these things are the hand of God uh, upon the Egyptians. Uh, I want to uh, pop uh, a map up here just for a frame of reference uh, because Bible text says that the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were uh, was exempted uh, from this. Uh, so if you look towards the left portion of the map, uh, about the top third, uh, you'll see Goshen there. Uh, and if you appreciate, uh, the, well, it actually says Nile River. I don't know how legible that is. Uh, but that body of water running there, uh, emptying into the Mediterranean Sea or the Great Sea, as they called it, uh, is the Nile River. And so the land of Goshen is there at the north, uh, the utmost north uh, of the Nile River. And Pharaoh and his people would have been just uh, south of that. Now, you also see there the route. Uh, of the Exodus, and we are not sure uh, exactly how they traveled. Uh, but if you notice, uh, it is a rather circuitous way of trying to get uh, to Jerusalem uh, 
but in the Bible text, we'll be told that God didn't take them up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea uh, because they would have had to pass through the land of the Philistines and uh, Israel simply did not have the heart or the faith uh, at that time to do that. And so a trip that could have been uh, considerably shorter uh, in both time and distance. Uh, it ended up taking them 40 years, and certainly they traveled a lot farther uh, than the trip could have been made uh, without all of those other uh, considerations. Uh, so looking here at the uh, plague of flies, at, at the swarms that were sent uh, uh, on the Egyptians, uh, in particular, up. Oh, just a little bit of trouble clicking as I wanted to. Uh, in particular, uh, the gods affected by this would have been uh, Ray, the creator god. Uh, he was the king of the gods uh, and the supreme god of the Egyptian pantheon, the, the, the supreme god of all the Egyptian gods. And then Kepri was a scarab-faced god, a scarab being a beetle, uh, scarab-faced god in ancient Egypt uh, religion. Uh, and he represented the rising or morning sun, uh, as well as uh, this also would have affected the gods of healing, uh, which we'll see uh, later on down the line in plague number six. Uh, what would it have been like to be in Egypt at the time? Uh, well, one source says this fly multiplies rapidly in tropical or subtropical regions. Hence, the delta with its Mediterranean climate would be exempt. And if you can uh, remember back to the map that we just showed, uh, the land of Goshen sat right in uh, the delta. Uh, so the, this fly multiplies rapidly in tropical or subtropical regions. Uh, hence, the delta with its Mediterranean climate would be exempt. In the fall, by laying its 600 to 800 eggs in dung or rotting plant debris, when it is full grown, the fly prefers to infest houses and stables, and it bites both men and animals, usually in the lower extremities. Thus, it becomes the principal transmitter of skin anthrax, uh, see plague six, which it contracts by crawling over the carcasses of animals that have died of internal anthrax. Uh, now, uh, again, I'm not much of a pet person and even less of an insect person, and I can imagine it would have been miserable uh, to be in Egypt at that time with uh, flies uh, everywhere. Uh, not only is it, uh, uh, I'm going to be just a little harsh, not only is it an ugly insect, uh, but the things, if you've ever had flies just plague you, they, they buzz and uh, they're not known as being the most sanitary uh, uh, things and what God has created. And uh, the text uh, indicates to us that these things were everywhere. So again, there's no uh, relief by going indoors. There, there's nowhere that Egyptians can go to get away uh, uh, from these flies. And uh, so certainly uh, in the mind of the Egyptians, they would have been asking, why don't our gods do something uh, about this? Uh, and of course, we know the answer to the question. Well, number one, nobody can stand against God. But then number two, their gods really were no gods. All right. Uh, pressing on here, uh, I'm going to go to uh, verse number 25. So Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it is not right to do so for we will sacrifice to the Lord our God, for we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not then stone us? We must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Make supplication for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I shall make supplication to the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again, 
in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. And so if you're following uh, the narrative, uh, clearly Pharaoh is without excuse. Uh, he has, uh, to this point, still resisted uh, the demands of God. Uh, Moses says, we must go three days journey, and Pharaoh's of the mind, well, I'll let you go, but I'm not letting you go as far as three days. Uh, and Moses tells him, now, I'm going to pray to God that he'll take the flies away, uh, but you need to keep your word. You need to honor what you have said. And of course, Pharaoh uh, has shown himself to be uh, a most stubborn individual. He has no intention of letting Israel uh, go sacrifice or leave uh, altogether. Uh, and so the fact says, but uh, verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. Now, this is huge because we have not read yet that God hardened his heart. Uh, God is using Pharaoh because Pharaoh has demonstrated himself to be uh, a stubborn individual, which is what God wants to use uh, in this particular case. Now, God didn't make Pharaoh stubborn. Pharaoh was already stubborn, and God just found a way to use his stubbornness uh, to accomplish his purpose. Remember, this is about more than just uh, getting Israel out of Egypt. God wants the entire world to know that he alone uh, is God, and he's doing some things that men will admit no other God can do after this sword. Uh, the uh, Egyptian magicians uh, who could imitate the first two miracles but haven't been able to imitate anything since came to this realization. Uh, Pharaoh was slowly coming to the realization. In fact, he may realize it to this point, but he's just stubborn enough uh, to try to withstand God. Uh, but certainly the purposes of God is being accomplished here. And I think it kind of providential that we actually be studying Exodus. And this was the plan last year to be studying Exodus at this time. It's not like we waited for the pandemic and then said, oh, this would be a good time to look at Exodus. Uh, I think it's by the providence of God that we are studying Exodus right now. Uh, one of the things adversity should do is remind us that there's really only one source of help in time of trouble. And when we talk about this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, there's really only one source of help uh, in this time of trouble. Uh, now, God may choose to uh, use uh, the uh, intelligence that he's given to people that work in the medical field and all of the others uh, who are working uh, to try, try to combat this thing. Uh, but appreciate God is in control. And this will work out exactly as God wills it to. And there's no one that can stand against God. Uh, but prayerfully, what will happen uh, as we go through this is that the world will not be like Pharaoh and stubbornly persist in their evil ways, uh, but that there will be some recognition uh, that our world has strayed uh, from the path of God and uh, that we need to do an, an about face uh, and change our ways. So when we look at uh, what we have in chapter eight, uh, the highlights or the main points, uh, we'll find the second plague, uh, verses one through 15, the plague of the frogs. Uh, then we have uh, the third plague of gnats or lice, uh, whatever the insect may have been, verses 16 and 19 through 19. Then we have the fourth plague, uh, the swarms of flies, uh, verses 20 through 32. Uh, and again, life in Israel just had to have been miserable uh, at this particular point. So what are the so what's from chapter eight? In light of the things that we've seen, uh, if the question so what is asked, well, one of the things we see uh, from Exodus chapter eight uh, is the finger of God. 
the Egyptian magicians came to acknowledge that God was the source of the miracles worked by Moses. And we need to acknowledge that God is working in our world today. Uh, now, I am not of the conviction that God uh, sends plagues through man as he did uh, in the days of Moses. I don't have any doubt that he can. Uh, but God is very much at work in our world today, and things will happen according to the will of God. And as children of God, this ought to give us great comfort. Uh, the finger of God is, is on our world. Uh, but remember, uh, God is a, a God of uh, discipline. He is a God of judgment, but he's also a God of love. And the thing that has always made the difference is our obedience to him. And the other thing that has made the difference uh, in living uh, for Christians is that whatever the circumstances might be uh, around us, I'm just always reminded of the old song, this world is not my home. Uh, we don't live here. Uh, we have a sure hope uh, of a better home, uh, eternal in the heavens. And so while things may be changing and they may never go back to the normal that we knew before, uh, let us never doubt that God is in control. And as long as God is in control and we are faithful to God, then everything is going to be more than all right in the final analysis. And that's not to say that we won't endure some hardship, some trial and some trouble, uh, but may we be persuaded that God is ever faithful and, and that God is at work in our world uh, today. Uh, the next so what item that we take from uh, chapter eight uh, is the incomparable God. Uh, you know, there's nobody like God. Uh, there's nobody like God in his nature. There's nobody like God in his character. There's nobody like God in his power. And the plagues, and, and we're not even uh, quite halfway yet, uh, the plagues demonstrated that there is no one like God. Uh, if we make it over to chapter 15, uh, Exodus 15, verse number 11, the Bible there declares, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Now, that's a rhetorical question because there's nobody like God. Nobody can do what God does. And one of the great comforts through this situation that we're facing now is that God is able to bless us and that God is able to bring us through. And, and God doesn't just uh, call us to rely on his word, although that would be enough. Uh, God says, look at what I've done for you in the past. Uh, this is not the first time we've needed God's help or God's deliverance. And he has blessed us before. He is still the same God today that he has been in the past. And if he's blessed us before, then he's still able to bless us now. And then the third item uh, from chapter eight, uh, the so what's, uh, the most dangerous disease. I would venture if you ask somebody right now, what is the most dangerous disease, uh, disease uh, that many people would answer the coronavirus. Uh, if you had asked this question some years ago, uh, some people may have said the uh, West Nile virus, uh, Ebola, uh, influenza, scarlet fever, uh, and on the list could go. Uh, but I submit to you that the most dangerous disease uh, in our world today, and certainly uh, in the Exodus, Exodus narrative, uh, the most dangerous disease wasn't uh, of the things that arose from the plagues that God sent. Uh, the most dangerous thing was Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. Uh, and hard-heartedness uh, encompasses several things. Uh, and when we look at Pharaoh, you see these things. Uh, number one, he was stubborn. Uh, Pharaoh was just one of those, uh, you could show him uh, proof positive, and uh, he didn't care for that. Uh, God would show him miracles uh, that neither his magicians nor his gods could do anything about. Uh, and he continued to be uh, the man that he was. So he was stubborn, uh, but he also refu uh, refused to hear God's word. A and again, uh, this was an unwillingness to accept God's word. 
with abundant evidence of the fact that God's word is true. Pharaoh was also arrogant. Uh, anytime you can withstand God, and now, mind you, Pharaoh thought himself to be a God. That's just the way their culture was. Uh, but he was a very arrogant uh, individual, and certainly he lacked compassion uh, for others. And, and when you have those things, and I'm just going to encompass those things and call all of that hard-heartedness, uh, that's a dangerous disease. Uh, because those things will bring the wrath of God and the judgment of God down upon a person. Uh, see, if you get a disease, uh, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going uh, uh, to get better or you're going to get, uh, or you, it, it will ultimately kill you. Uh, but what we know about humanity is that the biggest part of our existence is not this flesh and blood carcass that we exist in. Uh, the biggest part of our existence ought to be extremely concerned with the fact that we will have to stand before God at the judgment uh, and give an account for the lives that we have lived. And so while physical diseases uh, can be uh, alarming, intimidating, and scary, uh, the most dangerous disease is one that will put me at odds with God Almighty. And certainly uh, this is... Uh, what pharaohs uh, did. Now, excuse me, let's see, virus symbolic to the plagues of Exodus. Uh, I believe very, uh, that is a legitimate uh, question, and I, I would uh, even go so far as to say yes. Uh, this virus could well be symbolic of the plagues uh, on Exodus. Now, again, I don't have a direct line to God. Uh, he hasn't checked with me, uh, but certainly, uh, if you line up the evidence, it's hard to walk away from the conclusion that this is not a way of God getting uh, the attention of humanity. And so, yes, I would agree very much uh, with that sentiment. And uh, if you will remember uh, the words of the Apostle Paul, the things that happened in the Old Testament were written for our learning. Uh, what Paul was effectively saying is if we learn from their example, then we ought to be wise enough not to make the mistakes uh, that they made, the people who have lived before us, uh, well, as a people, we have not been wise enough not to make the mistakes they made, uh, but certainly we ought to learn uh, from their example that the thing that will get us back on the right track uh, is that thing called repentance. Uh, if we will turn from the path that we have chosen, uh, acknowledge that God is sovereign and that God is supreme and live according uh, to his commands according to his will, uh, then certainly we would be uh, much better off in our world than we are now. Uh, so thank you for uh, that question. All right, uh, that is what we have for chapter eight. So we are going to press on at this time into chapter nine. Uh, and again, it's just a little slow uh, clicking. Uh, now, I hope you all appreciate it's not that uh, we don't know to click when we want the screen to change. It's that sometimes you click, uh, but the screen doesn't change as you expect it to. Uh, now, I've actually clicked uh, a number of times here, and I don't know if it's my computer or something else. I'm trying to get it to move on to chapter nine, but nothing is happening. Oh, there we go. All right. Now, if it advances past this screen, I'm not touching anything. It's just one of those cases where, uh, you know, you just kind of roll with the flow. Uh, Exodus chapter nine, beginning at verse number one. Uh, thank you, Brother Joe Ford. I, you all can't see him working in the background, uh, but he is on the job nonetheless. Uh, Exodus 9, verse number one, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. And one of the things 
that will be true about this is Pharaoh could not have said, nobody told me so I wasn't given any warning. Uh, verse number four, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. And that's just incredible to have uh, an epidemic of this proportion throughout the land and the people of God are spared, but it's visited upon everybody else. Uh, that's saying something about the power of God. Uh, but not only it, does God do this thing, but notice God is able to give a definitive timeline. Uh, verse number five, the Lord set a definite time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. Uh, one of the things we notice uh, about the work of God, uh, uh, Peter said this uh, concerning Jesus, you know, that his, his miracles were infallible. It wasn't this vague thing. Uh, yeah, you ever hear one of these fortune tellers maybe tell somebody uh, you're going to come into fortune? Uh, maybe they do, but maybe they don't. But that's very vague. Uh, God is very definitive in saying what will happen and when it will happen uh, and, and how it will happen. So he tells them what a severe pestilence on the livestock of the Egyptians, but not on the livestock of the children of Israel. And then he gives them the timeline. Tomorrow, this thing is going to happen. Uh, you know, if I just said it's going to rain, well, the likelihood is that sometime between now and whenever the Lord should come again, uh, it's going to rain. That's really not a prediction of any kind. Uh, but if I can set the, the definite day and how much rain and what time it's going to start and that kind of thing, uh, then maybe, uh, uh, you know, people ought to take heed. Uh, verse number six, so the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, excuse me, and he did not let the people go. And so you kind of see it's the same thing again with Pharaoh. Here he's giving uh, an infallible sign, undeniable sign, uh, and yet he refuses uh, uh, to let uh, the people go. And so when we talk about uh, this pestilence uh, uh, of the livestock, uh, and, and we look at uh, how this would have uh, affected uh, affected the Egyptians and tried to look at this from the Egyptian perspective. Uh, Brother Joe, I don't know if there's anything you can do to help me. I'm clicking and it will not uh, advance. Uh, oh, there we go. All right. Uh, let me see if I can get, oh, okay. So this would have affected uh, in the Egyptians' mind, uh, certainly somebody would have asked, uh, why doesn't Apis do something about this? Uh, appreciate the Egyptians worship many animals and many animal-headed gods. And the Apis bull was actually worshipped as the living image of a god. And what they would do, they would get a special black bull uh, that would be appointed as the Apis bull. And when the Apis bull died, the land of Egypt mourned for it. Uh, as they would the death of uh, a, a king himself. Let me see, try your right arrow on. Thank you, okay. Uh, they would uh, mourn uh, for the death of the apis bull as if uh, a great leader uh, had died uh, and would even go so far as to embalm the bull and funeralize it. Uh, so this plague killed not only the livestock, but if they had an apis bull at this time, it also killed uh, one of their gods. Uh, and this would have been uh, shocking uh, from an Egyptian uh, perspective. Now, one of the other gods uh, that would have been uh, affected by this, uh, and I am trying the right arrow, would have been Hathor. There we go. Uh, now, Hathor was considered uh, let's see, it was the mother of Pharaoh, and she was the goddess of the sky, and she took the form of a cow. Uh, she was one of the more prominent gods of ancient Egypt and was worshipped in other countries as well. 
And here would have been the death uh, of another Egyptian god. And so not only has God shown himself uh, superior, but God has actually began uh, eliminating uh, their gods uh, from the picture. Uh, when we look at what one source had to say uh, about this particular plague, uh, Egypt is struck with the slaughter of animals or cattle. Frenzy is demonstrated here. And the stupidity of men who, like irrational animals, gave worship and the name of God to figures carved in wood or stone. Figures not only of men, but of animals too. They worship Jupiter Ammon in a ram, Anubis in a dog, and Apis in a bull, and others too, which Egypt admired as symbols of its gods. They believed that the divine splendor was present in these forms and offered pathetic acts of worship to them. So again, from the Egyptian perspective, it's not just the fact that God is sending plagues, but God is actually beating up uh, on their gods. And this would have been uh, certainly very disheartening. Uh, I imagine uh, there were a great many of the Egyptians that were uh, just deluded by this fact and just uh, uh, an utter sense of defeat. Uh, all of these gods that they serve and not a one of them is able to do something about the things uh, that this uh, god of slaves is doing uh, to the land. And, and notice the, the plagues are getting uh, a little more intense in terms of how they would have affected uh, the people. And so when we look at, at verses uh, one through seven, uh, evidence that this plague from God uh, was abundant, uh, number one, in its severity, uh, you know, it kills. Now, uh, when it says all of the livestock uh, of Egypt, not all quite literally, because some will still be alive in some of the uh, uh, coming plagues. Uh, and that ought not trouble us because we use hyperbole all the time uh, uh, when we talk. Uh, somebody could be taking a long time to do something and we would say, man, that took all day. Well, we don't mean it literally took 24 hours. It just took a long time. Uh, and so God uh, killed a great deal of the livestock uh, of the Egyptians, but nothing died. Uh, of the children of Israel. Uh, so the severity certainly indicates that this is from God. Uh, the specificity would indicate that this is from God. God gives them uh, a timeline. This thing is going to happen tomorrow. Uh, and so God is very specific about when this will happen, uh, but also the selectivity uh, would have said that this is from God. It affects uh, the people of Egypt uh, but it has no effect uh, on the children of Israel. And, and so it just would have been one of those, you couldn't miss that if you had been trying to. Uh, and the fact that Pharaoh has uh, started asking Moses, uh, and this was actually some plagues ago, asking Moses for relief, uh, as opposed to uh, his own magicians, is indicative of the fact that uh, at least intellectually, he, he's starting to get it. Uh, there's something about the, this God of the slaves, this God of the Hebrew people, uh, that for some reason our gods are either they're just reluctant to do anything, they're afraid of them, but what this God is doing, uh, our gods have not been able to do uh, a solitary thing. And so this would get us uh, through three, four, five, the first five of the plagues, uh, we kind of about one of those things when you cross, you're about midstream and you don't know whether to go back or keep going. Uh, we got just enough time that I would be stopping uh, early, but not necessarily an, uh, enough time to cover uh, all that we would like to about the boil. So let us do this. Let us go on and read uh, the Bible text there. Uh, and where the time catches us, it will just uh, catch us, and we'll resume there, uh, Lord willing, on next Wednesday. Uh, let me see if I can get just one more click out of this.
Oh, there we go. Uh, chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln and let Moses throw it toward the sky and the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it toward the sky and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. So the magicians for all their uh, parading around that they were somebody special were in no better case than all the rest of the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And, and I think uh, uh, the single most important thing uh, in this narrative is right there at the end of verse 12, uh, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses, things will always happen just as the Lord has spoken. And it doesn't matter who we're talking about or what time uh, in, in our existence that we're talking about. Everyone is subject to the great God of heaven. Uh, everyone is accountable to him. And things will always happen as God has said that they would. Uh, so when we look at uh, this particular plague, uh, it would have affected uh, a number of the Egyptian gods. And I had mentioned earlier that some of these gods uh, were in some way involved uh, with healing. Uh, now, take care to notice what he said. Boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. Now, I don't know that a boil is something that anybody is uh, all that eager to own up to ever having had. Uh, but can you imagine having multiple ones uh, uh, over, uh, uh, you know, your body to the point where you can't even hide the fact that you have them? Uh, if you've been with us on Sundays, we've been talking uh, 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 from Joe, uh, as we will through uh, out the month of April. And one of the uh, sufferings of Job is that he was afflicted with boils uh, from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Uh, now, if you can't relate to a boil, uh, take a blister and multiply it by some. Uh, now, if you've ever had a blister, one of your things you know is that number one is painful to the touch. Uh, if you've ever had a blister on the sole of your feet, uh, you are very reluctant to put that part of your foot down and put any pressure on it uh, because of the painful reaction. Uh, and imagine just having these things so that they cover you so that there is no part of the body that you can put uh, down to get relief, uh, uh, just having these things cover you uh, uh, to this extent. Uh, so the plagues have gone, if you look at the first one, uh, the water being turned to blood, uh, and I'm sure that was an extreme uh, inconvenience, uh, but I'd much rather have something happen to things around me than have something happen to me, uh, especially on the order of uh, having uh, boils like this. And it's not just the fact that they were painful. Uh, I have a picture a few slides down. Uh, that, that, and I, I actually didn't take one of people. It's just very uh, graphic. Uh, I, I'm not going to click anymore, brother. Thank you for helping me out. Uh, it will actually save those uh, for next Wednesday. Uh, so not only are they painful, but, but they're also uh, very hard to look at. Uh, and if you could imagine being covered with these things and everybody you know is covered with these things and we're all miserable uh, and, and then add on that, uh, on top of that, that this is uh, something that was done by uh, the God of slaves. Uh, I could just see now just the great wonder, why don't our gods do something about this? Uh, and so again, this factors into God showing that uh, the Egyptians and the rest of the world wouldn't know that he is God because not only did God take on one of their gods, 
uh, God took on all, all their gods and their gods were powerless to do anything uh, about what God did. Uh, and I think there's a great life lesson for us in that. Uh, Paul said it this way, if God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, there's nobody like God. And the word of God is sure, and the will of God will certainly come to pass. And when you are on God's side, that ought to be a great deal of comfort uh, in that fact. Uh, I'm just glad if we have to go through uh, COVID-19 and whatever else may be down the road, I'm glad that we serve the true and living God, uh, the God who's in control of all things and the God who loves his children and desires only the very best for us. So we're going to ask you to mark your place there at Exodus chapter nine. Uh, we will, Lord willing, resume uh, at this point. Uh, we'll still be at verses eight through 12. Uh, we'll look at some of the Egyptian gods that this would have uh, affected and then some, uh, uh, how this would have affected life in Egypt and worked in the plan of God. Uh, let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, again, we thank you, Father, for being the God that you are. Father, we praise your name and we thank you for the way that you bless us and not allow us, Father, just to exist, but to live uh, the abundant life that comes from being in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray as we have studied your word together this evening, uh, that our hearts and minds would take comfort at the things that you speak to us through your word, that we'd be encouraged to live lives that bring praise, honor, and glory to you. And Father, we pray continually for this world in which we live. We pray, Father, for uh, your will to be done concerning this pandemic uh, that our world is experiencing at this time. And Father, we pray that you would bless us to ever remember, while we may not know your specific purpose, we do know you. And Father, may we trust your loving kindness, your faithfulness, and all of the things that make you alone worthy to be God. Father, we thank you again for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we do pray. Amen.